Hi, this is uh, John Ryan with Team Handball News. And uh, joining me are up there in the top corner is 96 Olympian Derek Brown, Miles Bacon in the lower corner driving, working at the same time, but keeping very focused on the road, uh, former UNC coach, and uh, Divine Jackson, our ambassador in New York City. How are you guys all doing today? Doing pretty good, John. Doing pretty well. Good. Thanks, John. Doing good. Doing good. So I know all you guys. I think a lot of the people listening in will know you. So I don't want the the, the full origin story. Well, give, give it a, a brief uh, background on uh, who you are and, and how you're involved in handball or were involved in handball. Why don't you start, Derek? Okay. Um, Derek Brown, D.C. native, started playing handball right after graduating from LaSalle University in 93, was recruited by the national team. <clears throat> As they was looking for athletes, of course, to get ready for the 96 games. One of the fortunate ones to compete and to do well uh, in handball up to 96 and beyond. Uh, still an ambassador of sorts, um, not as connected as I would have liked to be, but that's starting to change as well. And so uh, always willing to offer my voice and support in the cause of handball. Excellent. Miles, uh, give, give us a short spiel. Sure. Um, native of uh, Springfield, Ohio, home of John Legend, yay. Uh, also Braxton Miller. Um, <laughs> I am uh, also a New Hampshire native for a bit, uh, resident, I should say, North Carolina for 20 years, got involved with UNC's uh, club program, um, and have literally been hooked since the first day. I currently live in South San Diego, um, and I am linking with a few different people. We've already started a beach club out here, uh, and we're looking to... Uh, get some more handball involved in the uh, phys ed curriculum uh, here in the county. Cool. Divine. Uh, Divine Jackson, um, still US, USA national team member, uh, currently residing in Connecticut right now from Hempstead, Long Island, where another 96 Olympian, Mr. Derek Keefe, is from. Uh, also, fun fact, Derek Brown's ex-teammate on the national team. Not telling anybody's <laughs> age. <laughs> hey, 50, bro. I'll say it. <laughs> um, every one of those years. Uh, I am uh, New York City's um, USA ambassador for youth and collegiate sports. Excellent. Well, thanks for the short intros. You know, I didn't give an introduction on what the topic is here, but you know, let's put uh, two and two together with uh, what's been happening in the world and the fact that uh, uh, um, you guys are all handball guys. Uh, the two and two is we're going to talk a little bit about race and, and about team handball and in the United States, you know, with a lot of the stuff going on uh, with the George Floyd uh, tragedy. Um, been on everybody's mind in fact I, I saw it on your guys' minds on your social media platforms and that's why I reached out to you because I wanted to get your perspective on um, races it relates to handball and and first I wanted to, to give you guys an opportunity 
to talk, uh, you know, there's different types of racism. And um, I have never seen any overt racism in handball, but uh, maybe you guys have seen something different. But I wanted to get your guys' uh, experience in terms of, uh, you know, somebody being very overt racist towards you in handball and, and just maybe in general compare it to your other sporting experiences. Why don't we uh, – we'll, we'll start with Derek again. <coughs> So in terms of overt racism in, in handball or in any sport for that matter, nothing where someone came out and said to me, you cannot because you're black, <clears throat> or we're not gonna allow you to be a part of this because you're black. But when you look at the landscape of, let's just go with when I started playing handball, there were a number of African-American athletes that started out playing, but there were only two of us that were on the Olympic team. So, not to say that there was some kind of uh, only a few play, but we know with athletics, those who are good enough will make it. So I'm not going to get into the quality and the, and the caliber of the athletes, but it, it, it is kind of with the nature of our sport. can raise some questions as to how come only two out of 16 were African-Americans when this is a sport that is – supposed to be excelling for African-American athletes. And I'll, I'll just leave that for, for that right there. Sure. Miles? Uh, you know, I've, uh, I've not directly, kind of like uh, what Derek said, I've not directly, you know, experienced, uh, you know, blatant to my face racism. Um, you know, as far as handball goes, I have experienced racism in different sports that I've played in my life. Um, you know, from football, uh, you know, kind of quarterback politicking, you know, I was in high school in the 90s. So, you know, there wasn't this, you know, design to have a, a two-way kind of quarterback back then, you know, it was much more pocket presence and, and, and you know, reading through your cues and this and that. Um, handball directly, though, I did, uh, I was excited when I first started uh, that there were as many um, minorities, namely black people, that were participating when I first started. Um, it's kind of like when you watch television, you can identify with somebody. Uh, I was able to identify, you know, with various people uh, when I first encountered the sport, including, you know, Derek Brown, Derek Heath, Robert Mayfield, um, you know, some guys that I could kind of, you know, play my skills off of and say, oh, I could do that too. Um, so, you know, like I said, directly, not so much. Um, you know, unfortunately, I haven't really sniffed a bunch of that uh, in my in, in fact, Miles, I think, you know, we had a, a short Facebook exchange. You, you actually commented that you thought that the handball community was like the most welcoming that you had been involved oh, with. Without question. I mean, <clears throat> the, thing about, the thing about handball, um, and, you know, it's true for a lot of sports, but handball specifically, we are so relatively small. Um, as well as the, you know, interdependence that you have on each other. Um, it's beyond important for handball and handballers to be able to get past the superficial stuff. Um, you know, my experience at Carolina as an undergrad, for instance, you know, all of my best friends uh, to this day even, we're just a patchwork quilt. You know, there is no way on God's green or we would have ever gotten to hang out with each other for handball. 
And then there we were, people from all races and whatnot, different portions of the country coming together for this sport that we knew very little of, but we knew we liked a lot. Yeah. Hey, Divine? Uh, similar to, you know, the other two guys. Um, I have not experienced it faced on with uh, USA Handball. Um, I basically grew up into this sport. So uh, from 15 to now, uh, I haven't seen it. Um, haven't even heard of anything that uh, kind of symbols it. Um, but, you know, from outside looking in sometimes, certain things you do have questions, you know, as far as like, uh, you know, leaderships and, um, you know, some people on the board where you, you wonder like, you know, is there anybody that's going to take that next step or was they not qualified? But other than that, no. Yeah. Well, let's, you know, let's get into the, the, the real topic, I think. And I think it's a topic in a lot of sports. Uh, beyond handball, um, and that's the uh, maybe it's covert uh, or subliminal, you know. But you, you know, Derek, you you alluded it to a little bit, and I'll go I'll go further back in time than you. Um, I have heard at different times that you know you don't know whether it's true or not, or maybe it's, it happened because of other reasons where there wasn't any really recruiting into the African-American community. And you could say that there's, there's some reasons for that. The, the cynical reasons are like, Hey, we want to have our guys make the team. If we bring in, you know, 15 Derek Heaps, you know, we're going to have 14 Derek Heaps. Well, probably you, you need somebody to play goalie, but <laughs> you, you, you know, you would have a, you would have a heavily weighted African-American team. And that was the cynical uh, response. But a lot of it also, I think, is, is structurally how we were set up. Um, I, I would go so far as I actually heard reverse affirmative action one time where I heard someone say the only reason why uh, B.J. Johnson got on the Olympic team was because he was a black guy. And I've, I've played with him. I mean, that is just silly. Um, you know, with the idea of like we need more black guys so we can do a better job of recruiting and we can get more. And 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 actually the desire is is the reverse of that. We really, really want more black guys playing because we've seen uh what happened in, in, in basketball, which used to be Lily White, and in football, you know, once the once the floodgates open, you know, everybody, uh, you know, the idea of you know, just having one or two black guys start on your college basketball team was absurd after a while because right. people want to win. And right. um, so I guess that gives, gives you kind of a, a flow of my perspective. And, and Derek, I, I kind of sense you were chomping at the bit to take on this topic a little bit. Yeah, I, I don't want this to become a, a whole commentary against what was, uh, but, but it's hard not to see that, you know, when, when you talk about the sports that have integrated, you mentioned basketball. There was a time that basketball was an all-white sport, and then we were allowed to be on a team. Football, all-white sport, until owners decided that they would have black athletes on their teams. So you look at a sport like handball. We're not talking about hockey. 
We're not talking about golf, which are still predominantly Euro sports. But when you have the, the talent, the skill level, and the ability to do the thing that is supposed to be necessary to be successful in a sport, not to say that white athletes or any other nationality of athlete can do it, but when you, you don't have the black athlete, all we have been known for is running fast, jumping high, and being strong. Those are things you need to play handball. So why are we not more integrated? Why haven't we been more integrated? Why do we have however many Olympiads that we've had and how many African-American athletes were on the men Olympic team? We had more, far more on the women's side, but on the men's side, I, I believe it's three of us. Well, I think it's four of us. One guy I don't know, but I know BJ well and me and Derek. And so I'm sure Divine would have made a team Gary would have made a team if we were to qualify. But again, this is what we have. And so why has the numbers been so low? Are you telling me that in 72, 76, 80, 84, 88, that we didn't have black athletes who could have learned the sport enough to make the team? I, I don't, I, I can't accept that. Miles. You're muted, bud. I lost audio somehow. I think uh, if it is my turn, I'll just go ahead. Um, you know, I really wholeheartedly believe that handball can very much save a lot of black uh, athletes, communities, etc. Um, once I got a hold of handball and you know, realize the basic mechanism and, and virtually no startup of the sport. I started thinking all these people in my hometown that were so ridiculously athletic, so great at basketball and football and virtually everything they ever touched. And then here I was so low on that totem pole, yet having an impact uh, in the sport. Um, you know, I really fully believe that you know, in this era where we're kind of coming to terms about football and concussions and all of these things that handball very well could and should be um, kind of placed in a little bit higher realm. Um, and in so much as, you know, uh, black and black community. Um, you know, I think also it was a bit, I don't know how to say it best because it, I, I want to, I want to try to massage this a little bit. It was a little bit, um, frustrating trying to recruit black students to uh, the Carolina team, for instance. Um, you know, I could go into Woolen Gym uh, and see all kinds of kids of all kinds of colors. Uh, you know, I take a handball with me. Hey, man, I see you can dunk. You think you can dunk this? You know, and then I've got a, a 20 second window where I've really either got to catch this guy and reel him in or he's just going to walk out. And, um, you know, when you think of a place like UNC, for instance, you know, we're talking about Confederate statues and all this stuff. You know, Dean Smith was a, a pioneer, at least for the ACC, you know, in a time and a place where, you know, there was going to be no integration. Here's a guy who literally integrated um, portions of a school, let alone uh, an entire league or a sport. Um, so, you know, I, I do, you know, kind of have that held out hope um, that Carolina can still be a bastion for that. Um, but I also recognize that 
you know, in this day and age, you kind of have to have something to incentivize people. You know, why should I quit my track of going towards football or, you know, whatever sport if there's no in game, like I'm not going to be able to pay, you know, get paid for my talent. Um, you know, I might as well play semi-pro basketball or whatever. Um, so those are some of the more frustrating elements. Yeah. Divine, you want to? Hey, John, do me a favor, real quick. Just uh, repeat the question that you asked. Um. Well, we 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 got into a discussion of you know covert racism. You know, what is there something that you know is getting fewer is is causing is racism causing fewer guys to play handball, or is it? Other issues such as the structure of the sport, finances, and I think I think Derek and Miles both touched on that a little bit. Perhaps maybe uh, you could you know, understand you've been coaching basketball and you know a little bit about recruiting and stuff. Maybe that kind of you can touch on that point or you know take any other aspect of this topic that you want. Thank you. I appreciate that. But uh, I, I totally agree with the other two guys. Uh, the risk does not uh, – the risk is too much for the reward. Um, for for me, uh, Miles probably don't know this, but uh, I was actually on my way to UNC back in 2003. Um, yeah. Uh, Pan, Pan Am Games in Dominican Republic. Uh, during that time, I was – on my way into the door, but we know the coach at that time, it didn't go well uh, for UNC. So, <laughs> but uh, yes, I was on my way there. Uh, but you speak to them like, for me, kid from the inner city, I couldn't afford a school like UNC. I couldn't afford schools like Stanford or anything like that. So, you know, when going to those college nationals and seeing those big time schools play and to find out that they're club sports and not varsity sports. That was a big letdown for me because um, that's one of the biggest attractions. The fact that, you know, I can do better for my family. The fact that, you know, in my case, be the first one out of my family to get a college diploma from playing sports. That was uh a, a big honor and opportunity and handball didn't uh well to this day handball still doesn't have that um when it comes to scholarships uh also at the same time i've coached high school kids that are now playing overseas and they're in switzerland they're in sweden they're in um romania and they see hand, they're on the same club team as the handball teams and they're seeing how those guys get paid and they're like they're coming back to me like, coach, I didn't know it was just insane over here. Um, why don't we have it in the States? And, you know, as Derek said, for for handball to be the most Americanized sport and the fact that, you know, when a kid can run fast, jump high, throw hard, and it's not a professional sport, it's it, it, it kind of, you know, sheds away about 75% of your af your top athletes right there because they're going to go to the sports that pay, the sports that benefit them in the long run. So that's racism will never be that factor when it comes to handball. It will be the others, the finances. It will be um, being able to, you know, take care of your family in the long run. And uh, right now we're just not there to support that. 
you, you, you know what, Divine, to kind of piggyback on that real quick, when I was playing in the early 90s, a lot of the, the, the propaganda around attracting athletes was, well, if you're not on the track of being a professional athlete, you're the one that we're looking at. So we're looking at the, the lower level basketball player, the lower level football player, the lower level track athletes or whoever, who you're good, you were good for college, you're good for high school, whatever, but you're not going to be pro. Here's something that can take you somewhere. We also had that carrot of the Olympics in front of me. So I had something that I saw as a tangible goal to go for. But when you think about finances and being able to participate in something, finances is major. So not to say that the handball operates as an elite sport, an elitist sport, but there is either a cost to play or a cost that you have to sacrifice for playing. And so while we don't have to pay for court time, well, some club teams do have to pay for court time. If you have enough players, that can be kind of meted out amongst all of you. But let's say, you know, X gym is going to charge you, you know, $300 a night once a week. Well, for a club team, that can be pretty steep. And then you got, you got to get into the players' pockets. Well, I'm working a job and I may be, I'm single, but I'm not making that kind of money to, for a sport that I don't even know where it's going to take me. So you, all of these are factors. And I would call it racism, but it is a separation of sorts. Because if you are, I, I, I'm making a joke right now, so don't come at me. But if you're a trust fund baby and you don't have to worry about money, okay, this is something to do. And I get to run around for a little bit. And if it does something, it does something. We get to go have a tournament this weekend and we can go up to Jersey, go up to Flanders. Whatever it is, that's fun. But for, for us from the inner city, we're kind of looking for a way out. And if handball looked to be something that can take us out more than basketball could, then a lot more of us would jump on it. But there's nothing there that looks like it's a way out. It's just another thing. Then we get, we get faced with the reality of, oh, well, you know, thank you for your time. Um, we didn't qualify for this tournament. We didn't qualify for these games. And uh, we're going to go a different direction. So now you've, You've, you've invested all this time that there's no payoff. Yeah. So I, th I think what you're saying is that it's a big part of that is socioeconomic. Yeah, definitely. And, 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 and at, but at the same time in our country, African-Americans are a greater percentage of them are in that lower social economic uh, thing. So where, where does it, where does it become a racism thing or it's a, you know, a finances thing? You know, sometimes it's, it's, which, it's which is causing the other, you know. It's all, it's all in the same spectrum. It's like if you get hit on one side, you get hit on the other side. Yeah. And, and define, you know, you brought up a point, you know, with, you know, guys playing basketball in, in Romania and Switzerland. So I, I'm assuming these were, uh, you know, basketball players in college. I'm not sure what level they play. They might have been, uh, you know, a lower level division one player, but I mean, even, you know, division two, division three players can find a place to go play basketball in Europe, maybe not making huge bucks, but they're getting paid to, to play the game they love. Is, is that what you, you were alluding to? Yeah. And, 
you know, that they already know how to play that game, you know, for them to take up handball and learn how to play handball to, to, you know, now that they've seen it in Romania and going like, ah, I didn't, didn't realize it was a big thing. It's still not something that they can, you know, turn on a dime and become great at. No, I totally agree with that. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, that's one of the bigger, bigger issues that I've seen since, since the nineties, and as things started to become more professionalized in Europe, not just in handball, but in other sports, there were more opportunities for people to go make a living in, in their in their sports. So that made it a little bit tougher to recruit some of those guys. And the type of guys that you needed in a lot of cases were those trust fund fund babies. It's it's not just a problem for 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 handball. I mean, you take a look at any minor sport even if it's intercollegiate like lacrosse or uh, volleyball or water polo rugby uh, you know most of those most of those athletes tend to be tend to be white and and we could probably do a podcast they could do it they could do a, a sports podcast like what we're doing now on their sport and the issues that they have well you you could talk about those sports but at the same time when it comes to the universities and institutions those sports are funded where certain schools you can go on a full ride or even some type of scholarship for water polo, even rugby. Mm -hmm. I was at American International College where the rugby teams was fully funded. Yeah. So they're recruiting kids and kids are going to school for free to play rugby. Yeah. So if even if, say, if UNC had a stack program where half the money is academic, half the money is um, scholarship, just imagine the type of athletes that Miles or Wade can go and get if they had some type of scholarship money, let alone Penn State, Texas A&M, University of Cincinnati. Like those schools, even with just the name alone, if they walked out to any city and said, listen, I'm going to help pay for your um, higher education. Would you come and play handball? I guarantee you, you will have tryouts of 40 kids that you will have to cut. Yeah. Well, I guess we're, we're rolling right into the next topic uh, that, that I wanted to, to bring up. And it, basically it's, okay, we've defined the situation. You know, what could we do um, to increase uh, African-American participation in the sport and and i guess divine just outlined one possibility right. funding has to has to come with that in order right. to do that right um, well you know the funny thing when i started we had the residency program you remember that john so we had to sacrifice something to train every day now can someone pick up a sport that they've never played before and in three years, make an Olympic team? Yeah, it's possible because I did it. But I also uh, was playing. I was playing every day. Yes. Sir. Time, time out. It certainly was possible back in nineteen ninety-three. It was certainly possible in nineteen ninety-three. I, I am not so sure. I don't want to get off on a tangent. No, no. Especially if the dual citizens that we have now on our team. Yeah. I don't know how much you how much you've watched our current men's national team, Derek. Yeah. And yeah. I, the 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 level of dual citizen talent is is pretty high now. So it's it, but 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 
using the term dual citizen. I have a problem with that. No disrespect to any of those players. Played with a few of them. Seen a lot more of them in the most re more recent years. We're the U.S. team. U.S. athletes. I don't like the dual citizen route. Yes, they've been playing longer. They have more skill. But why can't we grow our own? That's, that's my issue. That's, that's my going forward. So if the easy is to get dual citizens, then we're always going to be behind. But if we're trying to grow our sport, then we need to grow our sport. And how do we do that? We have to have mechanisms in place at every level where they can play, learn, grow, advance to the next level, play, learn, grow, and be able to play in the Olympics. Yeah. That's, how it, that's the only way it can work. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I guess, and it's a further complication in that because the, uh, the talent pool in, of our Americans who were raised in other countries, I, I avoided the dual citizen there. They're Americans. You know, it doesn't, doesn't matter. doesn't matter where they – you got a passport, you're an American. All right? That, that's the simple, the simple aspect. The, the, the reason is, though, is that the fact that the level is a little bit higher, now it, it's more complicated to bring in a stateside guy and have him make the national team. That's a little is bit it more – is it though? Yeah. Let's 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 be let's it be is. a little bit uh, critique because I I I want to basically put it out there that growing up it was club it was the club teams you picked members from the club teams. Right. Now, if you put some of these guys on some of these club teams, do you think they will have the same success that they're having now on some of these club teams? Mind you, let's just say, perfect example, uh, Ty Reed, okay? Ty Reed is with uh, New York Athletic Club, correct? He was also with the residency program. Um, he was also with United. Now, when he was with Team United and they had their club team, the success of that club team was not as high as when he went to New York Athletic Club. I don't think he's a. I don't think he's the right example. Let's let's take uh, let's take Abu Fofana. Okay. And, and put him on any club team in the U.S. right now. All right. Immediately that team would be better. Okay. You take you take Ian and Patrick Hooter. Okay. Same story. Now it would be better skill wise because the one thing that skill wise. See that's the that's the one thing that people like. That, that's that's another reason why I am a big advocate for a American head coach on the national team. Because growing up playing, okay, teams might have been skilled, more skilled than us, but when it came to hard nose defense and hitting, a lot of teams knew that they was in for a fight. Now, watching some of the games lately, it has been more European style where you're not going to get that much. We wasn't afraid to play down five, five on six or six on five. But we knew that push come to shove, if you tried to come within 10 to six meters, you was going to get hit. With the new generation now, that's not happening. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you, so especially. That, 
That physicality on the club circuit still exists with Cal Heat, still exists with New York City and New York Athletic Club. So if they were on those other three teams and tried to play those three teams, it will be a different discussion because of that physicality. Yeah. I, you know, we're getting a little bit on a tangent. I've been a little disappointed at, time, at times with our current men's national team's defense. Uh, I, I think it, I think it could be tougher, but, but the reality is, especially offensively, some of the offensive skill set of some of the players, um, I'll go back to, you know, I was on the team a little bit before Derek, there weren't anybody, there wasn't a single, uh, American who'd been born up in Europe that could make our team. They, they, they came with us to the night. A couple of them tried out the 93 world championships. One guy maybe could have helped us, but they, they weren't good enough. It was a combination of athletic athletic ability and, and uh, technical skill. I'm just saying, for whatever reason, right now with the men's team, we've got some talented players. And it's a little bit of a tangent from our current discussion, but the amount of time it would take somebody to make that team right now, it, it would be really tough for somebody – uh, to make that team in a couple of years. It, well, it I, really would be. Maybe can coming I, from zero, maybe coming from zero it would be, but if we have people that are already in the pipeline playing, playing out of Carolina, playing in the club teams, playing out in California somewhere, if they're already playing and they have the kind of structured coaching that mirrors whatever the national team's uh, level of, of uh, ability and skill set is supposed to be because it's all supposed to be feeding toward the national team is what it should be. But if it's not that, if it's just everybody's operating in isolation and they're playing this way in New York, they're playing this way in Carolina, they're playing this way in Texas, they're playing this way in California, it's going to be a difference. So why is there a difference? I should be able to go on a team that Divine is on and be able to do everything that is needed to be done go to a team where Miles is and be able to do the same thing because we're all on the same page and we're all trying to make the national team. That's where it's not there because there is no pulling to the national team. The national team is operating and doing whatever they want to do. And we have all these programs that they're just playing. That's the problem. Yeah. I think, I think logically we should be at a point where 80% of our guys are coming stateside and it's just because there's more people stateside than, than living, than living in Europe and other places. And, and we, we, we would want to have the structures in place. So that talent pool of athletes that we have, you know, we'll take, we'll take anybody, but just the mere fact that we have the structures in place that most of our guys would come from the U S. So, so to try and bring this discussion back into that, how do we build the structures so that becomes the reality. How, so do we, let, how do we do that? Miles? Let me, let me hop in for a second um, because one of the, uh, I guess w- one of my contributions to handball in the past decade plus is that, you know, I've been able to kind of bring Americans who know nothing about the sport into the sport and make competent to above competent to national team type entities. We need to have more structure on smaller and lower levels. What do I mean? You know, infiltration of, of uh, PE curricula, 
for instance. We need to have handball units where kids are, are exposed for more than three days at a time. You know, in my mind, what I'm trying to do here in San Diego is set up kind of a, a small league between, um, you know, middle schools you know, start something up there. Now, you know, Wangenheim is playing against Montgomery and Wangenheim, you know, the best kids from each of the class get to make the Wangenheim team and they're going to play Montgomery. Um, and you can incorporate that in a general Olympic type day. Um, but the problem is, you know, for instance, myself, I didn't start until I was 19. You know, I love handball and I played for, you know, the better part of two decades. Um, and the amount of skill that I had you know, if I were Swedish, I would have only been about 27. You know what I'm saying? I would have been entering my peak of my prime. But because I got it at 19, I only had but so many years where I was priming and still, you know, capable. Um, you know, we need to find ways to actually, let me say this, let me back up. We need idiots. We need idiots. How do I say that better? We need people who do not care about money or time, just knowing that they have to invest handball knowledge and skill into people. Um, there are not enough idiots in our realm right now, you know, um, in, in so much as that, you know, I can speak for myself, Wade, um, you know, and our program, people who would literally, you know, sacrifice their weekends to drive up to a West Point or wherever to, you know, spend the extra hours after practice, after you've already spent a whole day at work, trying to help, you know, a kid get their, you know, three-step approach right. Um, we need people to be involved in that way and more we need to be able to coach people or you know kind of train people in different pockets of the country so it's not like you're just learning this in utah or you're only going to learn this style in minnesota we need to kind of come up with a, a rubric across the board where everybody can say oh this is what they're learning on you know week weeks one through three you know this is where we can do that okay so we should be about here right now um, and then that way, everybody kind of comes up so that when we get to that next level, you know, everybody has a similar idea of, okay, these are the skills that we have as a group. These are the skeletal, you know, entities of what we're trying to get created. And now we can add a little bit more meat to it because these kids are older, a little bit smarter, a little bit more, you know, athletically intelligent. We literally have no example outside of a handful of people um, where people in the United States have gotten the game before, say, middle school. You know, Divine's one of the rare exceptions in, in that regard. Um, I know that we had uh, a couple guys at Carolina that came up through the ATH program under Chris Kappelman. Um, you know, Alex, uh, Mike Applegate, you know, just two guys that just jumped. Those guys were sick as hell. I mean, like, you know, Alex McGlynn, you know, is still a row beast. I'm sure if he just went out and picked up a handball right now, he'd be great because he learned a lot of these skills from an early age. It's almost been defaulted in it. So we need to find more ways to create grassroots things so as to feed. You know, this was the answer that soccer took over the years. You know, it's uh, lacrosse has kind of, you know, built into that some, but we need more grassrooting, um, you know, so as to not have to feel like we need to depend on, you know, European uh, residing American citizens, let's say. Well, um, I won't use the term idiots. <laughs> I'll well, I will. Term, I'm an idiot, and I'm, I'm not afraid to admit I'll, it. I'll use the term highly dedicated, motivated, committed, passionate people. That's um, very nice of you. I'm an idiot for doing what I did for as long as I did, uh, you know, to sacrifice a career. Yeah. Because the problem is, is you're only going to find so many of those guys around. You want, we, we need to have something that's more sustainable, um, that – uh, is more practical that can be scaled up. Um, we'll, we'll take those guys 
and, and we'll you know give them some resources to go do something like and I guess I'll, I'll, I'll turn this over a little bit to divine you know and that maybe he's getting some resources to do some things that that he wanted to do um, in terms of grassroots um, so kind of a two-part question what are some of the things that you're doing divine and the second part is do you see anything that could be done with a specific um, African-American intent to target, you know, some of these guys that, you know, hey, we just have to look at the basketball and football teams and say, wow, if we could get, you know, a group of guys at a young age and get them going, we could, we could really start to make some headway. Uh, well, for the first part, um, there are a couple of challenges when it comes to the New York City area, um, when it comes to bringing in the youth handball. One, finding a sizable gym. Uh, you know, in New York, we don't go wide, we go up. So <laughs> some of those gyms are, you know, wall to wall, bleacher to bleacher. So, but uh, other than that, it's, you know, it's just getting the kids involved. Uh, New York Edge is doing an excellent job. Um, New York City, thank you to New York City, um, helping getting the New York Edge started. Uh, they had a clinic out uh, in Brooklyn, about 150 kids, uh, getting them going. So we, the one thing we definitely, that New York bigs on is competition. So the one the one thing I'm definitely going to try and do or set up is Battle of the Boroughs, Battle, Battle of Long Island, because that definitely gets the kids excited knowing that if I'm from Brooklyn, I want to I want to see what Queens have or go up against the Bronx stuff like that. So that's that's one thing that's in the plans uh, for the future. Uh, and the second part, I'm sorry. Well, the second part was, uh, you know, a specific African American target or opportunity. And, and I'll, I'll I'll tie on a little bit of that. You know, I I saw the uh, the the newsletter that uh, the USA CEO Barry Siff put out talked about. 500 memberships, you know, for, for African-Americans, uh, you know, opportunity. And, you know, that's a small thing, but, you know, that, that also can help get the, the ball rolling. Do you see anything like that that can be done to, you know, target, target a, a, some of our African-Americans that are underrepresented? Um, well, you know, we're in the era of, you know, social media. So a, a lot of the kids, they they look for people to relate to. And um, that's the one thing that we definitely have to find is more African-American athletes in handball to market and broadcast and, you know, help run clinics in the New York City area. Um, if Just looking back at some of my old video is probably just as ancient as uh, – Derek and Miles, so me trying to do it right now. So, <laughs> you know, me trying, me trying to, you know, be that person is uh, not going to be the one. We're going to have to find, you know, much younger guys that are, you know, going to be willing to, you know, be in the forefront of that. So that that's the next step. And, you know, definitely getting more colleges involved because for the kids in the inner city, like I said, they need a way out. And the, the fact that, you know, if they can – go to an event and see St. John's or Hostra or Fordham having teams out there, that's definitely one step of, you know, 
uh, keeping their interest high uh, and building from the high school, from the middle school up. So, so Miles, what about the possibility, and, and maybe you were around or, or maybe you're familiar with the Southeast Team Handball Conference and what they did? Yeah. Tell, tell me a little bit, do you know anything about the, the program that they had at Benedict College? You know, it's a, it was an uh, HB, HBCU. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if you can see that, but uh, that's that's from that's my trophy from uh, Southeastern Collegiate Team Handball, circa 2001. Um, I think we'd have to speak more specifically with uh, Derek Heath, um, or maybe you know I think it was Derek and maybe Dominique Dumont. I'm not totally sure how they, you know, got Benedict into the fold, but they had Benedict, they had Presbyterian, they had Lander, they had a bunch of schools I'd never heard of. Um, and one of the cool <laughs> things about one of the cool things about, you know, having Benedict in there, you know, not only as an HBCU, um, it was just cool to have another school that we knew played handball. You know, um, it, when when the SETHC um, was probably at its highest, you know, there were schools all over, you know, South Carolina, North Carolina, Georgia, Alabama, um, and that... You know, I don't, again, I don't know how that whole thing percolated, but we definitely look forward to playing against those guys. Yeah. Um, and they, like, as, as these two could explain, you know, there's something about the, the, the fun and nuance of rivalry uh, when you're playing handball. It's, it's one of the most gentlemanly sports for such a, a, a relatively savage entity. Um, so to go more specifically, you know, I think uh, kind of to back up what Divine said, you almost have to have an identifier, like somebody who when you watch, you know, something happen, kids can see themselves they're in. Uh, again, I don't know if I would have been as into handball uh, aside from the kinetics had it not been for like Bob Mayfield. Um, you know, being able to have him, you know, show me things in games and then after the game, come over and say, yo, you know, just so you know, you know, you don't have to look at the circle when you're passing it to him. You know, it's like, oh, I know that, but I didn't know I couldn't. <laughs> um, so I think, you know, uh, to kind of get back to what uh, Devon was talking about, maybe there's some kind of circuit we could do, you know, uh, like assemblies where we could set up a demo and have a couple kids participate um, so as to help kids identify and see themselves. Oh, you know, that guy right there looks like he can jump. You know, he reminds me of my uncle, myself, whatever, whatever. You know, I'm watching him do this thing in front of our school. I want to learn how to do that too. He played on the national team. What's the national team? I'd like to play for America. Um, just being able to put these things literally in people's faces. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I guess that's what I was looking at with – I never saw Benedict College play, but I was intrigued with the thought that an HBCU played. I can count on one hand in all my years of playing and experience when I saw a team that was majority African-American taking the field. I mean, right. and, and I was responsible for one of them. And I, I played on a base basketball team when I was in the Air Force. I was the only white guy on the team, and I was always talking to everybody about this handball game. And I think to just shut Ryan up, they said, all right, Ryan, we'll go play in a tournament for you. So right. I had a, a team of, you know, we, we were a solid basketball team. We beat teams by 30, 40 points all the time. And it was, it was a great time. And, and I, I just said, wow, if I could get these guys to play handball. And they, they went to the outdoor tournament in California, the Ventura 
Copa Ventura was the uh, West Coast uh, Flanders. And uh, we had a solid side for a bunch of guys that had never played before. Um, you know, we didn't win, but boy, everybody respected our team. And then the second time I remember was Derek Heath brought up a bunch of kids that he had um, with, uh, with uh, in Atlanta, boys and girls clubs. They came up to D.C. and they played in the tournament. Those are the only two times that I personally saw a team that was majority African-American. I guess I, I, I heard a recent uh, podcast about the Texas Western basketball team that, that mm -hmm. won the national championship against Kentucky. You know, five, five black guys taking the court against five white guys, underdogs, and they beat them. It wasn't, it wasn't even close. And to me, that's, that's the, like the vision of what you can see if, if – if a bunch of young African-American kids see a team go out there and, and kick some butt, it's, it's that visual, you know, this guy looks like me. It, it gives me an example of what, what can be done. So do, exactly. do any of you guys see a possibility where, you know, we got limited resources, but maybe, you know, some of those focused on a, uh, you know, a, a demonstration concept, if you will, like a new Benedict college somewhere. Well, but even even with that, John, it still has to be something that people can look at and say, I can do this. This person looks like me. You know, what, what has happened in the NBA over the last four or five years, the little guy is now feeling that he can play basketball on the pro level because Steph Curry is shooting from 40 feet. You can learn to shoot deep. You may not be as successful, but you can learn to shoot deep. There are going to be more people that can shoot deep than they're going to be six, eight freaks of nature like LeBron James. And so if I can see something and relate to it, you may not be as fast as D Brown. You may not be able to jump as high as D Heat. You may not be as strong as Divine, but I see those people and they look like me and I see them being successful. Why are we not highlighting those? What do we have right now available to us that we can highlight and show. Gary Hines, the dude jumps higher than I've ever thought about jumping. And he's got skill. He's been playing in Europe for a thousand years now. <laughs> Why is he not being highlighted? Yeah. He's 35 years old. He's still young enough that he's, and he's still good enough that he should be highlighted. I'm past my prime. I'm 50. D Heath is, is 55. BJ is 60. Mayfield is about to be 60. So, I mean, what, we don't need to be looking back at the, the, the 50s and overs. We got 20s and 30s that we should be highlighting and saying, okay, what are they doing? And these are American-born. American-born is how we're going to have to do this. So going to the HBCUs, I'm telling you, if we would have done that between 93 and 96, there's some bros that I was on the team with that wouldn't be on the team. Real, for real, for real, for real. I'm just saying. Mm -hmm. When we were up in Philly, we could have just went down to Temple. Even though Temple wasn't a black school, we could have went down to Temple, had some real hoopers. Could have came down to D.C. Real hoopers that just wasn't doing nothing but couldn't, couldn't afford it. So if we hit some HBCUs, for real, for real, guys that's just hungry to do something. It's like, I don't know what I'm going to do, but you give me something to look at, I'm going to give this thing a shot.
that's how we're going to make the change. All the other stuff can happen, but we need to figure out what our focus is. If it's going to be an inclusive sport, then we have to have more. And I, and I know we're talking about black and white, but I would rather keep it a black and white conversation as opposed to a bringing in euros. If we're going to keep it black and white, then we need to have more black inclusivity in this sport and give them an opportunity to be successful because not everybody is going to be idiots and say, well, you know what? I'm not working right now and I'm not making any money, but I'm playing handball. That's not going to happen anymore. Mm -hmm. I, I, <laughs> I played handball over three years before the Olympics. I, I, I worked maybe eight months in those three years. All of 95 and 96 didn't work. I don't know how I survived because all I was getting was 108.33 a month. <laughs> 108.33 a month plus whatever the elite athlete stipend was. I think it was 3,000 as well. So that's all I was making to play handball. And what was, the, what was the payoff for me making the Olympic team? Well, if there's no Olympics, why would I do it? I'd go work at McDonald's before I not make any money to play handball, get beat up every day, go to a country, get spit at. What, what, really? Play handball, travel the world. Isn't that what they told us? So there has to be more to that. <laughs> there has to be more to that. I'm sorry. I went off on a little bit of a tangent. <laughs> but I love it. <laughs> Wouldn't change it, but it's – that, that, that model can't work now. It has to be something more. It has to be something that they see, and it has to be a structure that's going to take them somewhere. Whatever that somewhere is, it has to take them somewhere. You can't just expect somebody to spend, you know, five hours a day or five hours or 10 hours a weekend um, and, and playing this sport and getting beat up, and, and then what? It's not enough. Miles, if, if I gave you $10,000 to, to start a African-American focused program in San Diego, what, what would you do? Or, or you know, what, uh, in broader terms, is there anything African-American focused? You go to Vegas and put it on black and try to turn it into a million. <laughs> <laughs> Oh uh, man, um, you know it's it's interesting. San Diego is uh, it's it's a, it's its own interesting um, set of communities uh, of of blackness. You know there are, you know pockets of black people. Uh, Logan Heights, Lemon Grove, La Mesa. Um, some absolutely outstanding names have come from there. Um, we're talking about Marcus Allen. Uh, we're talking about Terrell Davis. We're talking about uh, uh, Reggie Bush. You know, there's all kind of talent here. So what would I do immediately? I go grab my buddy, Paris Vernon, who played with ATH. Uh, he and I uh, will immediately go to uh, the various uh, athletic departments of the various school districts here in the area. I'm looking right now on a map. There are no fewer than 17, right? Um, so if we go to 17 and only get three to even consider us, now we've got money to, you know, buy, you know, a short set of goals for three, you know, for three schools or three school districts, however, you know, they want to do it. Then we could set up our demo program going around. Hey, this week, you know, for two, three weeks, it's going to be over here at Parker, you know, over here, it's going to be, you know, Chalmers or whatever it is, you know, we're, we'll go to different spots. Um, 
more though, I think to create kind of an after school type situation. Um, you know, that's kind of a goal of mine. Um, I think if we can create uh, almost a handball academy effect to where it's like, hey, if you come do homework for an hour, hour and a half, you know, we'll do handball teaching for an hour and then you can have free gym space, you know, like something to encourage kids to want to be uh, involved in that. Um, but that's literally where I would go. Like the first thing I would do is, you know, grab Paris. We're going to different places, you know, and just kind of talking our way into uh, school districts. Vine, anything? I mean, we talked a little bit about it. you kind of got on a broader thing of what you're doing, Battle of the Boroughs. Anything that you would try and do specifically? Um, hold on. Give me two seconds. I'm not done taking notes from Miles. <laughs> <laughs> you are. Uh, it's, it's it's a little bit similar. I'm, I'm kind of doing the same thing. Um, I, I kind of got a head start because uh, a specific gentleman, Laszlo, he's been doing it since 77, 74, maybe young, uh, earlier than that. But uh, from where I first started, we had a high school league. We had uh, six high schools, Hempstead, Roslyn, Garden City, so we had those leagues to have the high school kids something to look forward to and build from there. So it would definitely be to try and bring that back and make it stronger. Um, but no, Miles hit it right on the nail. Uh, you you got to go and personally introduce yourself and, you know, get into the school districts. So... But with the ten thousand dollars, the first thing I'm doing is renting. Uh, I'm renting out a gym, and I am definitely hosting a collegiate tournament and inviting all the public schools to come. So that's that's definitely the first the first thing I would do with those ten thousand dollars because now, as a middle schooler or as a high schooler, if I get to go see those schools in person play, now I'm like, okay, oh, they actually have this in college. So. That's, that's definitely what I'm doing with that money. All right. So we, we talked a little bit about the, the talked a lot of bit about the, the grassroots and, and some of the issues bringing folks in. Now, uh, Derek, we, we, I, I sent all you guys a copy of the demographics. Uh, and, you know, John Ryan likes playing with numbers and, and looking at stuff. But I actually found this. I didn't even realize it existed. But there, there's tracking of data in terms of how diverse uh, all of the sports federations are um, in terms of national team players, in terms of board representatives, uh, staff, et cetera. Um, and, you know, the numbers weren't, weren't as bad as I thought that they were going to be. Mm -hmm. um, and they, they actually, you know, it depends a little bit on what your benchmark is as to what you're going to. Um, right. It also, it also uses the people of color. Um, which, that's right. I'm sorry. That's what, that's what I that's what I keyed in on when I looked at the data. Yeah. People of color doesn't necessarily mean African American. So, well, and, and and I was you know tell, educate me a little bit on that because I, I I hear that used more and more all the time, and I think that there's you know there's 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 black on white racism. Uh, you know, Miles, you're living in, in uh, 
San Diego, I'm, I'm sure you're seeing some uh, Hispanic uh, uh, derogatory terms used once in a while, Asians, um, even Native Americans. And at one time we would have like blown the benchmark out of the water because we had a Native American, Native American team right. playing right. handball. Um, right. Do we do we need to break it down into subsets instead of the, the broader people of color acronym? Well, or I, name? I personally, I personally think so. Um, and I look only at my high school, my high school like prided itself on its minority population. I want to say it like, it was like 45% minority, which sounds awesome. 45% um, out of a thousand kids, you're talking about, you know, four or 500 folks at that point, obviously. But then the real number that we're talking about, as far as African-American kids, there were like 70, you know what I'm saying? So you can't, you can't, you know, wash all of that together. A lot of times we hear, you know, person of color, colored, you know, minority, whatever. And, you know, we're grouping all kinds of people into that. You know, if we want to talk about minority stuff, we could talk about, quote unquote, minority stuff. But we're not talking about minority stuff right now. We're talking literally about the African-American experience, at least per handball. And those numbers are going to be infinitely smaller um, by default, almost. Like, I look at the turbulence we've had at the head of USA Team Handball. We can't get more than five years of consistency you know, because things turn over so much. So how can we have a long-term goal when we can't have a short-term, uh, you know, sitting president or director or whatever? Um, you know, it's hard to formulate these things on a long-term basis when somebody else comes in and says, yeah, but that's not the way I want to look at it. Um, and I think that we have to have more involvement um, and uh, input um, from, you know, guys like, you know, like us, like D. Heath, um, you know, people, Gary Hines, people who are, definitely in the fold who have been a part of the whole thing. Um, and like I said, who are, who are um, American born per se, um, who know the American athletic pedigree. Uh, Cause it's one thing to, you know, market ourselves as one thing, but you know, when we don't look for a, a Nike Jordan Adidas type, you know, uh, endorsement, we know how much that's going to impact the black community. Black people will not wear, you know, Bobo kids or wherever, you know what I'm saying? Like branding matters and we need to, you know, be mindful of these type of things. Anybody else want to weigh in on that topic? No, that he hit everything on the nail for me. Uh, I think the political statement is person of color, but we're really talking about black. We're really talking about the black athlete, the African American community. And yeah, it's nice to say, even to branch from minority, because of course minority, then you can include women. But no, we're talking about persons of color, so now we're talking about everything that's not white. Yeah. And so when we're talking about white versus everybody else, and then you take it down to the subsets of, well, what are we really talking about? We're talking about how come we don't have any, any major black representation on the board for USA Team Handball? How can we have any major representation on the national team? of African-American athletes, USA Team Handball? How come we don't have any coaches on either national team that are African-American for USA Team Handball? Then that's a different conversation. Because, yeah, we, we have Swedish, we have African, we have French, we have Puerto Rican, we have South American, but where's the African-American community? It's not there. It's not there. Well, if, if, you, if you look at the percentages, if you go 
and say African Americans are 14% of U.S. population. Um, that that's where the numbers don't look so bad, even though they did person person of color. Um, I, you know, you take 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 the board. Basically, you're talking about one one yeah. and a half or one and a third board member. And uh, you know, T was a board member for 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 several years, so that mm -hmm. that that factored into that. Um, we don't currently have an African American uh, board member. Um, and maybe that'll change, you know, with, uh, I guess they'll have an AAC election either this year or next year. That could, that could be an African-American athlete. Um, and then you got coaches. If you want to factor in the, the beach handball coaches, I guess we would have two, four, six, eight coaches. So again, you'd be talking one coach. So, I mean, I don't really like quotas. I think, I think they can be good in terms of a, a benchmarking sort of thing. Yeah. But when you're yeah. talking smaller numbers, it can really be, it can look, uh, it, it, it can look bad and maybe not be bad or it could look good and, and really maybe not be good because the numbers are so low. Same with the Rooney rule. You got 32 pro teams. And if they say you have to, you have to at least interview a real interview for a, a minority <laughs> candidate, well, how many, how many black coaches do we currently have now that hasn't already been fired? What's it, four? I, I think it's, I think <laughs> it's four. I, right. I don't even know that. Well, so, then, then look at the percentage of athletes in the NFL that are African-American, right. and it's right. just it's crazy. And I, I could turn around and say, well, look at the percentage of African-American athletes playing handball. Well, it's no wonder we don't have as many African-American, you know, coaches. Um, that so it, it gets a little comp, it right. gets a little convoluted when you when you when you when you rely too much on quotas. But right. you know it, it's it's something good to look at in terms of uh, of where we stand. And one could certainly, I certainly could make the argument is you look at the athletes playing basketball, you look at the athletes playing football. To me. The, the best handball player is somebody that played basketball, maybe played football because he can, he can take a hit or two because you, you it's, it's not a namby-pamby sport. And you could say, why, why is, you know, ideally we would be um, – I don't know what the percentage is. It would be more than what we have now. And, and, and take a look at France. France, to me, you, you know, you were talking a little bit earlier about you know, show the African-American community something. The French, the number of African descent players playing for France is off the charts for the, the percentage of African descent people in France. And that's, well, that's, that's a factor of their uh, overseas departments and their immigrants yeah, from Africa. It's the same thing with their soccer team. When, so, when, you, talk about, when you talk about the expansion of African African citizens throughout of Europe. That was something that was born out of why ever, why ever the reason they left their country and they found a place. And so, I, I love I love French handball. Don't get me don't 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 mistake what I'm saying. But if they would have stayed in their country and had an opportunity to play in their country, French handball wouldn't be as strong as it is. That's that's all I'm saying. That's all I'm going to say. No, I I agree. I agree, Derek. Um, just in the sense that, you know, colonization 
matters. You know, look at look at the German soccer team. Uh, look at the French handball team. Uh, you know, Spain, uh, Spanish basketball team. Didn't they have Serge Ibaka? You know what I'm saying? Like colonization matters. You know, we as America have what like Puerto Rico and the Philippines, and don't even really get Puerto Rico <laughs> like that. Um, so that's going to factor in a ton. That's not to say that France doesn't have uh, some variant of a model that we could kind of hope to replicate, but you're taking somebody from a completely different situation. Um, as well, France has leagues that team that these guys can and women can go to and say, hey, if you want to leave, you know, X, Y, Z country and come here, you know, we think you could play with the national team. You run with this club right here. You know, we'll track your progress and then boom, you might be on the national team. You know, we don't really have that here. You know, maybe we send them to, a, you know, NIAC or NYC or, you know, San Francisco Cal Heat, but we still don't have, you know, anything to otherwise incentivize them, you know, by this is still America. Capitalism still matters after age 18. It would have been nice if we could have had something along the lines, maybe not on the same level, but along the lines of MLS where we understood that the, the, the Euro Soccer League was key, but we wanted to have something replicated in the U.S. Maybe not everybody's going to be profi, but at least there's something there that they can have regular games, regular competition, and have it feel like something. Because again, we want something to be the outcome of this, not no, no disrespect to the college nationals or, or to our national championship. What does that really do on the broad scape of our country? How many people know about handball's national championships? How many people care about handball's national championships? Who cares about college nationals? See, we, we, we're operating on such a low scale that we're doing these things and we're putting a lot of effort in it for the handball community. But if we're trying to reach out, we're not doing a good job of it because nobody knows outside of the handball community. You talk about track championships, you may not run track, but it's on TV. You you, you may not swim, but the championships are on TV. There has to be something to see this thing so that people can say, oh, you play handball. I heard about that once. It can't, that can't, I, oh, you played in 96. Well, damn, that's, that's almost 30 years ago. Well, maybe we'll have the college national championships and it'll be Howard University coached by 96 Olympian Derek Brown Amen. taking Amen. on Air Force on <laughs> ESPN Plus as a sad <laughs> Army team looks on. <laughs> no, not getting their 15th in a row. Maybe, maybe that's what we'll see. That's yeah. what I'd like to see. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I don't think we've, you know, well, let's, let's try. What would you guys see as victory? What would you, what would you see as like, okay, you know, I, I've been trying to, you know, look at the, you know, tangible kind of benchmark, you know, is there anything that you guys could, could, could sum up as we close? Like, you know, I'll be happy that we've made progress in five years if I see this. Well, you already said it, um, and and Derek said it as well. Put the national championships on TV. That's what's going to get the kids' interest. Like, what's crazy about it is that every four years, all team owners get a splurge of emails. Hey, I seen handball on the Olympics. Uh, I seen it on NBC or ABC on the TV at two o'clock or three a.m. Do you have a club team? Or they look. 
like, okay, after that splurge of the four years, it dies down. Well, if you have national championships every year, then every year you're going to get a splurge of emails. You might even get a splurge of new teams because the fact that now that it is being televised, those teams will want to go out there no matter the product because even with the MLS, some of those games was not pretty games that when they first got on TV. Correct. But, but the fact the fact of the matter is that because it was on TV and the owner saw the product, now that, that one, it increased their exposure. Two, they was able to get more sponsors now because the sponsors could see themselves on TV. So now when you get that more money, you can go out and get the better players. You can make better salary um, negotiations of bringing them in. Then now New York Red Bulls go from sharing a stadium to buying their own stadium. So if we get college nationals or even just the open national championships on TV, that right there will increase productivity and membership for the next five years because everybody will be looking forward to the national championships because now you can add in qualifications for the national championships. And now you get more teams because, oh, I have the chance to be on TV. There it is right there. That's, that, that's fair. I get the chance to be on TV. How many times did I get the chance to be on TV to play on ESPN? Not as many as it should have been. Not as many as it should have been. We've had the 84 Olympics and the 94 Olympics on our home court. We should have been blowing up, leading up to and after and sustaining. We should have been able to sustain from 84 to 96. We should have been able to sustain from 96 until now based on whatever was put into our sport to make everybody take notice of us. We shouldn't be a third, fourth level sport anymore. We shouldn't be. With all of the efforts that were put in, just with what I know from the, from the Atlanta community and all that we did and the grassroots and all of that, there still should be a thriving uh, a portal of handball being played in the U.S. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the one thing, it's funny because I, I, I did my senior synopsis on this and it was how did the WNBA um, were, was able to get 20 plus years? One, they didn't compete with the NBA. They stayed out of their way and they created their own season in the summer. If you have a season where you don't compete with football, you don't compete with basketball, and you kind of, you know, kind of compete a little bit with baseball, which most of the time we already know you don't watch baseball until, you know, playoff time. So if you're if you have a handball season <laughs> if you if you have a handball season from February to I wanna say July, one here's the plus. One, you're you're not you're not competing with the other sports as far as um different time slots or anything. Two, when the NBA finals ends in June, that's when the playoffs kick in in July um for handball from the end of June to July. Also, if it's an Olympic year and we qualify, those players are still playing until July. And now you can go in right away to prepare for the Olympics. So you have all of that from February into August where 
one, there's a lot of downtown, especially if a team gets swept in the NBA. Um, and two, where during the course of the week, where there's nothing going on, you can have handball submitted in there. That's how it is in Europe. Yeah, handball games every week. And, and I think, uh, sorry, just to piggyback really quickly, like that's a part of the American athletic pedigree that we have to incorporate in any of these thoughts. You know what I'm saying? We have to know not to try to step on another league yeah. or another sport. Um, you know, myself, I really feel like, you know, success can definitely be measured that way. But, you know, honestly, if we get, you know, 10 more colleges, you know, five to six, 10 more women's programs at colleges that already have men's programs. Um, if we get more high school or middle schools involved, you know, so we're not just, you know, giving this to people for, you know, five, 10, 12 years, and then they're on to the next thing. Um, you know, these are all, you know, kind of signs of success in my eye. Funny thing, this, this is a little bit above where we're talking about, but I, it was talked about many years ago, but putting handball in the Winter Olympics, do you know what that would do for us? If we're not competing with track, basketball, soccer, swimming, gymnastics, but we're in, in, in essence complete, com, competing with viewership for bobsled, for hockey, for luge, for skiing. Hey, hey don't forget Skating. about curling. Cur I love we curling. won't get time with curling on. Curling. I love curling. Love my friends from Canada. But nonetheless, <laughs> just but just just that 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 change from what was to trying something different. Yeah. You don't know what that could do for us, and we just lost miles. We just <clears throat> lost miles. Oh well, we we are gonna have to to wrap up here. In fact, you know, guys, I was just looking for you guys to solve the problem of African American participation. I wasn't looking for you to solve everything. But hey, hey yeah, that that's. That would be that would be excellent. Um, funny, funny how that works, right? <laughs> you know, you solve you solve the the African American problem. You solve everybody's problem. You know that that, that is a very good point. Oh, oh! It, it, but it would, to me, what wow. you envisioned, what you envisioned would be part of that. Uh, obviously, if you're going to have if you're going to have a college national championships on TV, I would I would like to see the level of play higher. And yeah. I like to see some of those same athletes that are, are playing uh, uh, NCAA basketball or, or football, maybe not, you know, maybe not that level, but some high quality guys playing handball. I, so, so it's funny. Funny, it's funny, funny, thing, yeah. funny thing. Back in 96, we had a few pro athletes come to us and train with us. One, one in particular was Rick Fox. Rick Fox was a fish out of water on the handball court. Put him on a basketball court, he can make shots, you know how to pass the ball. On a handball court, he tried to shoot the ball with nobody in front of him and fell. So I think having everybody think that, okay, well, you know, we had LeBron. Yeah, LeBron is a freaking nature. He could throw the ball. I'm sure he would have no problem shooting the ball. But he's not the average basketball player. He's a freak. So if we get the average, the average pro, let them come out and play handball with us. I welcomed everybody that came on the court. I ain't care who you were. Bruh, this is my domain. You may dunk on me on the court, 
but I'm going to score on you on this handball court. I'm going to hit you in a way that you're going to be like, damn, can they do that? Yep, we can. Absolutely. We, we need that because I was a pro on my court. I don't care what you call it. I'm a pro here. This is my house. Let me show you what we do. Let me show you why this is wonderful. Let me show you why this is fabulous. And then that changes some things because it's not just about, oh, we need basketball players. No, we need athletes because there's plenty of basketball players who can't do this. That's just going call. There's plenty who can't do this. There's plenty who won't catch up on that three-step thing. It takes a, it takes a minute to get that three-step thing. So it's going to be, it'll be funny, but it's necessary. And, pick, and, I'll, and I'm going to piggyback on that. Like, they, 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 the, the main fight right now of not putting handball on TV is they're always talking about we don't have a product or some of the games are not good. Everything on TV is worth it. Reason why. If somebody trips over their feet or somebody uh, does something silly, the average, the average person is going to say, oh, I can do this better. I can do that better. Yeah. So if you can do it better, you yeah. come and join us. Yeah. Then the next person going to say, if you can do it, I can do it. And then it's a domino effect of all of those people. Next thing you know, you have more than you, you thought you would have. And now the product gets better and better. Because one, the owner or the coach is going to try and recruit better because he don't want his team to be a mean which is the new thing now, or, you know, get joked on. So his recruiting, his, his recruiting style is going to change. He's going to try to find ways to go through loopholes or whatever and get a better team so it could be a better product out. Like, perfect, perfect example of what you said about 10 minutes ago about West Point men winning 15th in a row or college nationals. The women was the same way. Nine months before that, Penn State women was tripping over their toes couldn't catch a ball, and then what happened when me and you broadcast that game, John Ryan, at College Nationals? It was a major upset. Penn State, in their first year, not even a full 12 months, came and upset West Point women to win the national championship. Yeah. Like, that right there, that film should be on TV. That is a American story right there because they came – Started nine months. The first scrimmage, West Point Black beat them by 50 in the first scrimmage. And then nine months later, to turn it around, one, you tied them in a uh, round robin, and then you wound up beating them. That right there should be televised. That should be told. That coming out of our mouth only sounds like a myth. Mm-hmm. But, if it w- but if it was televised and everybody saw it, now, this Penn State, you know, somebody, some kid is going to try and make a documentary of the next Miracle Part 2 and have it out there. But it, it, it actually happened. And if that was on ESPN Plus, that would be going for a full two weeks. That's well, Yeah, no, that's, that's 100%. I mean, you think about what the Olympics have meant to America, right? Um, when we watch NBC, you all get these backstories from Bob Cox. The backstory. An athlete, you are, you are personally involved with this person. You're attached to this person. So like you said, you know, to create these stories, I mean, you know, every year, like if we do, for instance, get college nationals or open nationals, you know, on television, we need to have 
people creating these backstories, talking about how this guy made him torn Negro, Serbia, Armenia, wherever. You know, you can talk about the different components of each club, um, you know, and, and the successes and, and, and struggles that they've had. Um, this is part of our um overall kind of pedigree as americans we love a we love a tough story we love a, a, a rocky type underdog story um and we love to feel involved personally with those that are you know that we're watching yeah well we've been at this for over an hour i think i'll try and wrap it up a little bit here i'll tell you i tell you what i want for that story to, br to bring it back to the original topic i want howard university <laughs> with with Vita Derek or maybe uh, you know I don't know what school down there maybe maybe it could be San Diego State. Let's bring it uh, back to Benedict. Hell, this started with Benedict. Let's bring it back to Benedict. Yeah. Well, I'm 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 going geography here, and then oh, okay. uh, maybe AIC Divine Jackson coaching mm. the team. And I I, I want to see that team be that surprise team of like who are these guys? Majority African American to give that visual to people to say, hey, this isn't just some, I don't know, basketball version of rugby with mostly a bunch of white guys that uh, couldn't make the basketball team, <laughs> but, but a solid team, you know, to, to, to show the world what can be done, and a, a Texas Western for handball, because I think it could be done uh, without too much difficulty. Um, because the level of talent is not that high right now, particularly in the college game. Um, but they'll change, they'll change the rules on us if we make that happen. You know. That, right? <laughs> <laughs> I still say, I still say, and I think, I think that was part of the discussion that I think we kind of came to a, a consensus with was handball is very welcoming, and they would love to have more African Americans playing, but they just. We, we just haven't figured out the best way of making that, of making that happen. And, and it's mostly. I'm going to let that float right there for right now. We don't have enough time to really dig too deep into that as far as the they would love that to happen. So just let that sit for right now, John. We can talk about that another day. We can, we can talk about another time, but heck, we all know everybody. I, I'm sure we could take a straw poll. We don't even have to take a straw poll. We could take a poll of everybody who cares yeah. about handball in the U.S. Yeah. And I would say majority, you know, would be more than happy to get more African-Americans playing, assuming that they're going to be great players, and we'll go from there. That's, that's my opinion. I, I'm coming from a different perspective than you guys. Yeah, no worries. But I think no. for the most part, you guys were saying that, there's not a whole lot of overt. There's some, there's some covert, but I think for the most part, it's because we can't figure out how to do it right. That's that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I am open to suggestions. And I, I bet you that Barry Siff and USA Team Handball is open to suggestions on how to get greater African American participation. I mean, you saw you saw his memo. That seemed yeah. to me. That he was he was definitely interested in that. And so, and, and, and having the having an open dialogue is good. It's it's always good to have an open dialogue. Putting metrics in place, that's all good. Actionable items are all good. It has to translate. It has to translate into into results. 
And what are the results that we're talking about? Right now, we're talking about more of a presence with our African-American community in team handball on a higher level coming down, not just on a, hey, they're on the court running around. They'll never make a national team, but we got a lot of black people playing. That's not enough. That's not enough for me. And so I, I need to see 50%. You didn't ask me, but you asked them. I want to see 50% American-born black athletes on the men and women's team start off five years. 50%. That's just eight players. They ain't even got to be the stars. I hope they would be. They probably would be if they were given a chance. But give me eight. <laughs> give me eight and a black goalie. That's what I want to see. <laughs> Well, I tell you what, you, you know what, you know what's Nico, funny about Nico that. Nico Robinson, oh, I, I don't know what Nico's exact ethnic makeup is, but we already got you somebody who uh, ha, I don't know for sure. He just he just looks like he has some African American in him. I, I I have a black goalie, and even with a uh, torn rotator cup, he was goalie. Of the, he was a goalkeeper of the tournament, so that was fun. <laughs> right there, bro. I'm not crazy enough to get in the goal, but I'm just saying we need to have somebody who is. <laughs> well, Derek, I thought that was a bold statement. Uh, does anybody else have any bold statements that they want to promulgate? Demine Jackson, uh, and you work for uh, USA Team Handball. Do you have anything that you want to say that might get you fired? <laughs> <laughs> I do want to say that uh, I, I'm definitely uh, going to try and be on one of the staffs. Uh, that's definitely a good plan of mine to, you know, stick with coaching and try and, if it's not the junior team, hopefully the senior team when my playing day is over. So um, I'm still battling with my boy Gary, my brother for life. So we're 35 and still going strong. <laughs> Excellent. Miles, any closing thoughts? Uh, just a couple things to kind of uh, echo and wrap some of this. Um, you know, it's awesome that, you know, Barry Siff put out a statement. Um, I think it's, it's, it's uh, a positive step for sure. Um, but, you know, let's take the next step. Kind of like what Derek said, you know, let's actually have an engaging talk. You know, let's figure out, you know, from others, from blacks that have been a part of this sport and know, you know, more of the inside of what handball is in America to black people, then we could come up with a little bit more of a plan. We can speak optics all day, but until we actually have a plan to go forward, you know, we're literally just kind of uh, almost kicking the can, as it were. Um, you know, I look forward to an engagement uh, of, of ideas um, with, you know, Barry Siff, with, you know, Mike Cavanaugh, with whomever. Um, to really truly have an open discussion um, that gets results. We can talk all day, but you know, action is the is the ultimate form of of, of sincerity. You know, change behavior. We're really kind of stuck in some of this. You know, I'll look out for my guy. If you look out for your guy, you know, that kind of thing. We got to get out of that. We've got to lose some of that. You know, chum old boys networking that has happened with USA Team Handball. And that's no disrespect to any one or two individuals. That is just the way things have been. And clearly we keep running into the same results and wondering why things haven't changed. Yeah. Um, you know, what, you know. if I, don't, I don't have it right in front of me right now, but one of the things in that uh, newsletter uh, opening 
talked about a diversity and inclusion committee. And uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, just, just talking to you guys, all three of you guys would be great representatives on that committee. Uh, so that's something, you know, we don't want it to be just talk, right. but you know, we right. wanted you know, I think, I think some actionable things could come out of a committee like that. And I think this is a, you know, the current climate, I think it's a great, uh, a great opportunity uh, for not just you guys, but anybody listening to this uh, to consider um, ways that we can in increase that uh, participation rate and yeah. uh, you know, bring team handball forward in general, because, you know, that was another great point, <laughs> you know, you solve, you solve the African-American problem. You're going to solve handball's problem too. Maybe, maybe yeah. to a certain extent. Yeah. But, uh, guys, it, it was, it was a great education. Uh, and I really appreciate you taking some time to, uh, to, to chat about this topic. Um, for Derek Brown, Miles Bacon, Mind Jackson, I'm John Ryan and thanks for listening.